setting up. It says we're live. There we go. All right. Well, welcome everyone to the Dank Kingdom podcast. I'm Titus, and we're joined by the regular squad, Matthew, Anthony, and David. And we have two very special guests on today. Dean Taylor and Chester Weaver, thank you two both so much for making time to do this. Welcome. Pleasure. So just a, a little bit of context for anyone who's watching this or, or listening to it later who's wondering why they're on today. Uh, we, we had a little bit of uh, controversy on the Dank Kingdom Christian memes page uh, in response to Chester Weaver's recent appearance on Anabaptist Perspectives about a week and a half ago. Uh, yeah, I, I love Anabaptist Perspectives also, Dean, and I listened to that one uh, as soon as it came out, and um, it, it was, it, it kind of took me a little bit off guard because I had a really, I'd really appreciated, Chester, your your previous appearance where you were discussing Protestant fundamentalism and how it's uh, made some inroads into the conservative Anabaptist world. And, but, but then when I heard this latest appearance, to me, it sounded like sort of the, the Anabaptist version of fundamentalism. And, and we want to talk about that more later as we get into this conversation. But what I was working as I was listening to it. And so I stopped my mower, whipped out my phone and created a meme expressing that sentiment. And 180 comments later, here we are. Um, uh, Jaron and Regan from Anabaptist Perspectives, uh, and also Dean Taylor weighed in on the comments. And we were gonna we were gonna discuss some of the ideas presented in that video on this podcast, but we didn't want to talk about you without having you guys here to to represent your position and and to interact with with some of our pushback live here. And I also wanted to say. Um, I hope that you know we, we didn't cause any offense with what we did. I, I know that for some people tuning into the the meme page for the first time, uh, some it can probably our our attitude can probably be misunderstood there. I think one thing to to remember is that, uh, or or one thing to know is that that probably seventy five percent of the memes that we create that are targeting specific people are targeting each other, and most of those are a lot more harsh than the ones that had your name in them. And, and we don't take it personally. It's actually considered, you know, the highest honor to, to be featured in a meme. And, and we're really trying to, to restore civility to public discourse, especially disagreements within the church. We, we don't see disagreement within the church as something to shy away from, um, but we wanna be able to have honest conversations about that. And so we appreciate you uh, being a good sport and, and coming on to interact with this uh, today. Well, thank so, you for giving me the opportunity to talk. Absolutely. So as far as format tonight, I'm going to um, give a, well, I've given enough introductory remarks. So if any of you wants to, to comment on anything I said there, that'd be great. Um, as soon as we're done with that, I'm just going to launch in and play a few hmm. brief clips from the Anabaptist Perspectives episode. And then we'll just use that sort of as a springboard to, to discuss these ideas. Go ahead, Dean. One thing, Titus, I just want to say um, just how long I've known Chester. Um, Chester is really the first Mennonite I ever met. Um, I've known him pushing on 30 years now. 
Um, so when back when I was in Texas with David Brousseau, um, Chester Weaver was involved with some very unconventional um, uh, church planting ventures there in the Texas area, uh, which basically got all of us kingdom guys with David Brousseau interested. He, he was able to get some information to um, the Dallas Morning News, which then um, turned some different things that uh, affected David Brousseau and even the writing of uh, the publishing of the first uh, Will the Real Heretics, which then took off and got picked up by Elmo Stoll uh, and then and went over. And so in, in, a, in an interesting chain of events, me, David, probably a lot of kingdom things could really be traced to some of the progressive and uh, uh, I don't know, just some of the things that Chester Weaver has, has done. Um, and so it was a really model for me as we went through our rocky start uh, for 10 years there with David Brousseau and going through some kind of, a, you know, our, our different histories. Chester was always a, um, as to calm, steady presence of the kingdom of God. And I appreciated him. My children actually ended up going, uh, Stephen and Stefano went to first grade with him as, as Chester was a principal uh, there in, in, um, in Grandview. And I've got to know Chester also um, otherwise. So um, it's been a blessing. And um, so, yeah, so I'm ready. I got his back. That was bodyguard. So, uh, so you ain't going to pick on him tonight. Good. <laughs> are, you, are you saying that Chester Weaver is responsible for the movement that ultimately gave rise to Dank Kingdom Christian memes? And <laughs> and here? Well, there's always offshoots, you know. It's, it's... <laughs> oh, well, man. maybe we'll wait till we get to the end of this to see if he wants to take credit for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's more important things to talk about. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I would say, too, by way of preface, that um, I, I listened to, to both of your interviews, at least the two recent ones, Chester, and, and the, the one on fundamentalism is phenomenal. And I, I can't tell you how encouraging it was to hear somebody from, from your vantage point talking about the problem with rulemaking in the Mennonite church and some of the other issues that came up, how fundament, fundamentalism found its way as the default answer for, for the Anabaptist church, especially the Mennonite churches. So I really was very grateful for that. And I think that, that if anybody hasn't heard both of your interviews on Anabaptist perspectives, uh, listening to this tonight, they definitely need to go hear them. Mm -hmm. I second that. Yeah, I want to, um, I just want to say too, before we get started, I haven't, um, um, I've barely been around for 30 years, so I haven't known Chester as long as Dean, but um, every interaction that, that I've ever had with Chester, I just, I have a terrific amount of respect for him. Um, you know, even in the points um, at times where, you know, his, his place he comes out or um, his, you know, perspective might differ from mine, um, I've never seen anything from him, but an attitude of somebody that wants to wants to know what's right and do what's right and follow Jesus. And that's um, that's that's what I've seen him live out in in what I've had in the interactions I've had with him. And so, you know, if we um, if we come, you know, into as we discuss stuff tonight, you know, we may come up, come at it from different angles, but to me, those are those are maybe some perspective things or some understanding things 
um, not because I have any any question of where Chester is as far as his dedication to Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. Right on. Well, now that we're off to that rosy start, let's see if we can find some differences here. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen and we're gonna queue up the clip here. So my wife went to Lancaster Mennonite High School for grades 9, 10, 11, but her parents would not allow her to graduate because of what was going on there. Now I know this is just external stuff, but externals kind of illustrate what's going on inside. So here are some pictures. Uh, this is from the book Passing on the Faith, the story of a Mennonite school, Lancaster Mennonite School by Don B. Crabill, a respected uh, historian. Okay, so. Just with a quick flip of the uh, pictures here, you'll notice that we go from this kind of external to this picture in 1965 to this picture in 1968 to this picture in 1969, this picture in 1971. Some of these things are personal to me. I could tell you about who some of these people were. Wow. Uh, it's, just a, it's like a slow, slow shift. Yes. I mean, and the book was published in 1991. So it's, it's completely different. Completely different. A man yeah. by the name of Daniel Hess, who is teacher at Goshen College, mm -hmm. contacted CBS News. So I'm going to skip forward now to a little bit later. from the outside. The cry back in the 60s, we need to be relevant. We became so relevant, we have no message. And now we've mm. bought into homosexuality. We're ordaining women, women homosexuals, to be our leaders. And people aren't staying. Churches have... All right, so just a little clip there from that. Um, now, I, I, I really want to allow you to respond to this first Chester and maybe clarify some things, but just a, a few questions on my end. So we saw there at the beginning pictures of, of men, you know, in, in straight coat suits, and then eventually uh, people who looked completely like anyone else in society. And so I would say that the, the assumption at least is implicit, and I want to hear you clarify this, but I would say that this, the assumption is implicit that you know, the rejection of certain outward distinctives of conservative Anabaptism will inevitably lead to, you know, an adoption of egalitarian, gay-affirming theology, at least in some churches. Um, and, and I think that th this is the sort of sermon I heard a lot in, in the Beachy Church. And uh, I guess if you would kind of sum it up in a logical syllogism, what I, what I think the argument that's being made is, Premise one, uh, you know, churches that have discarded these rules have eventually discarded biblical principles historically. It's almost always happened that way in history. Premise two, conservative Anabaptists are discarding these rules. Conclusion, conservative Anabaptists will eventually discard biblical principles. Um, and, and the reason why I don't think that the, the conclusion follows these premises is because uh, this argument commits the fallacy of the slippery slope. I know some people I don't think consider that to be a formal logical fallacy, um, but I, I would say that this is sort of a textbook example of that. 
but even if that conclusion did lead from those premises, if, if Jesus and Paul did in fact um, prohibit extra biblical standards, then I think it would still be wrong. So simply put, you know, committing error in order to keep from committing another type of error does not justify error. Now, I, I'm not sure what you would say about, and, and maybe we can just use this to launch into the, the conversation about extra biblical standards. And I, I'm sure that none of us would would say that we advocate extra biblical standards. And so maybe that's where the discussion is. Um, but that's that's some of what I was thinking as I listened to it. So maybe you could bring a, a bit of clarity to what where you were going in that clip and then respond to some of the things that I said. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to do this. Uh, first of all, the thing that strikes me from your original response is the uh, general ignorance of the story. And uh, I was a part of that story and people who look on we're not a part of that story and somehow make connections that really do not deserve to be made. Secondly, the uh, impact of fundamentalism was so deep that uh, the story at Lancaster Mennonite High School flowed out of that. And it, it illustrated the failure of fundamentalism because Lancaster Mennonite High School was built around the idea that if you have a problem, you make a rule to solve the problem which was a complete departure from Anabaptist thought and theology. And my emphasis is that we've got to get back to the way the scriptures teach us to think. And uh, Lancaster Mennonite High School illustrated how we should not think. For example, I teach Anabaptist history at Calvary Bible School, and I ask the students to memorize four things. Let me get a piece of paper so I can say them accurately. The essence of the Anabaptist vision. We say this every day in class. It's on the test at the end. Jesus Christ through the Holy Scriptures is the ultimate authority. Number two, since he is, I order my life and discipleship to him. Number three, when others do the same, I enter into a body relationship with them called the church. And number four, the church, unique from its host culture, supernaturally demonstrates the love of Christ as it cooperates with him to build the kingdom of God in the world today. Okay, so that to me is the essence of the Anabaptist vision. That was really not taught at Lancaster Mennonite High School. At least it came through to the students as fundamentalism. And so they reacted to it and their reactions are illustrated by those pictures. Let me go on to something else. I don't think any of you recognize any of this, but uh, I will read it to you because I think it illustrates how we should be thinking, how the school should have been thinking, how Anabaptists today should be thinking and are struggling to think. We always start with why. And the why is summed up, we love Jesus and desire to live in intimacy and oneness with him. People aren't motivated by what you do. They're motivated by why you do it. So we start with why. We start with him. And evidently, that did not happen at Lancaster Mennonite High School like it should have. And it degenerated into rules. And there's just all, it's just an awful story. Go back to this diagram. The second thing is how. 
We see Christianity as a relationship, which means in everything we do, we keep the person of Jesus as our focus. We follow him in all things and draw as close to him as possible. That does not happen with rules. At Lancaster Manor High School, it was attempted with rules. It was an illustration of fundamentalism failure. The plug-in and effort to make it work did not work. The third part of this diagram is the what. Now, these are where the rules came in. Now, I'm just going to read what's on this paper and to illustrate the kind of things that are here, but rules can be built around these. We do not lay up earthly treasures. We share with the poor. We make peace and forgive. We do not lie. We seek to be humble. We actively seek the lost. We do not seek earthly power. We love our enemies. We speak to Jesus often. We, over we overcome temptation and sin. The fiber of who we are is love. We have been born again and baptized. And this is an effort to radically obey Jesus' commandments. There's no spin, no complicated interpretations, no excuses. With passion, we live out this kingdom vision while dwelling in oneness with the king. Now, all the rules that were at Lancaster I High School were in an, an effort to somehow reach this, but it did not. And so the, the, what you saw in those pictures are the symptoms of the failure that was going on. The real failure is not knowing Jesus and having a, a, an obedient love-faith relationship with him. Now, I've said enough, so maybe you want to respond to something so far. Well, what I would say is that what, what I would question is that um, I, I appreciate that. I think I think that everyone would would amen all of what you just said. When you look at the pictures, though, it it seems like you're implying when they had plain coats and cape dresses and caps, everyone was doing that. And that the result of embracing fundamentalism as the solution degraded those things and i think it's the initial premise like do do those external cultural distinctives equal doing all that that's that's what i i was at the heart of, of my not. question of course not maybe i didn't make that clear up front but uh i will say that an effort to uh have guidance like that illustrates an effort to be obedient in some way and i will mm. always respect that mm. i wear a plain suit myself because it's an identity thing for me. It doesn't gain me any righteousness, but it is an identity thing. And I'm very uh, pleased to be a part and identified with the Anabaptist people. Sure. And uh, my wife wears a cape dress. I'm just very pleased to be a part of a people who are trying to be obedient by uh, setting some boundaries. And I'm just very happy with that. And uh, those are two illustrations in my present life. Sure. Sure. So that's not a there's there's not a quid pro quo between the pictures no, no. Uh, dressed that way and the later pictures where there's a regression. No, no. I mean, I, it's really good we have this opportunity to explain that. But if people could understand the book, if you get the book and read it, you kind of get the feel of what the facts were that these are symptoms of a bigger problem. That's the Craybill book, you mean? That's the Craybill book. Uh, I, I don't want to monopolize our time. I want to, but, but I do have some other questions. So if, if I can just restate um, 
what I'm hearing you say to make sure I'm hearing you right, because I'm pretty sure I 100% agree. Um, what you're saying is that, um, first of all, the, the, the story there that you're, that you're looking at in the pictures is an illustration that fundamentalism fails in its intended purpose. Fundamentalism yes. is supposed to produce certain things. Yes. And the Lancaster story demonstrates through those pictures that despite their best efforts to, to bring that to pass, fundamentalism cannot make happen what's supposed to be happening. Exactly. And it's plainly evident by their own standards. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. 100% agree. Yeah. And, and, and I'm like you, I have, I have respect. Anybody that looks for, anybody that looks for an opportunity to, to obey, you know, is doing their best to take Jesus seriously and obey him. I've got nothing but respect for that. Right. And Aaron Shank was one of those people. He was on the board of trustees at Lancaster Manor High School for years. But in, by 1963, things had degenerated enough that he noticed that other people were really not interested in loyalty and love and obedience. And so he felt like he needed to step off. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, Anthony or Dean? Um, I would, I would say I, so far, I, I, yeah, I, th I think what you've said so far, Chester really clarifies um, for me, a lot of the confusion about that, that uh, last podcast episode as well. Um, I, I probably do have more questions, but they're probably for a later part of the conversation, but I, but I, 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 I think you've, I think you were explained very well tonight. Um, yeah, I'm hearing you say, as yeah, I think David re summed it up. And if that's what you were saying, we we are we are mostly in agreement at least this far in the conversation. So I'm glad. Let me make a, in my own mind. Let me make a further comment. Um, you probably can't see this very well either, but uh, it's uh, an Anabaptist worldview, and it, it basically says that with a Roman Catholic worldview, we have a Holy Mother Church where salvation is within the circle, we'll say, and it creates a culture of dependence. My observation is that Lancaster Mennonite High School and Lancaster Conference as a whole, and now the Amish Mennonites are reverting back to the Protestant worldview, which is a God and I kind of thing, which produces independence. And that was very much illustrated in Lancaster Mennonite High School. What many of our people, both today and in the past, have not clearly understood is that it's not God and I, it's God and we. It's God Amen. and others. And so we have these interdependent relationships within the church and among the churches, creating a whole culture of interdependence. And that was lost back in, that was, my growing up years was the move from too much Oh, back up. Sorry. When I came into the world, my people had already lost this and had gone back to this. And so once again, you have fundamentalism growing out of this kind of mindset. Fundamentalism does not grow out of an Anabaptist worldview. If I could... Um... That's, a, that, that's a great point. What I, what I think... Um... As someone who doesn't come from Anabaptism, 
<clears throat> that's where a lot of my remaining residual questions are. Like, what what does all of this mean for people that aren't a part of an Anabaptist history? And what, like, in two respects, in one respect of when those people try to come into the kingdom, uh, how, how does that, how do those, how, how does that interconnection function for, for assimilability? But also like, what's the, what's the history mean for, I, I appreciate you as a historian, Chester, and I listened to, to both of your message, both of your AP pieces again this morning and you appeal to the idea of we're, we're not learning from our story. Yes. And it always leaves me wondering, well, what about those of us who that's not our story and, and, and haven't found a place to be in that story? I think when I look at that, that picture that you just showed of those different perspectives of church, we do the same thing. Uh, what I have seen as an outsider is that the Mennonite churches in particular, and probably Anabaptism in general, do that. They make that that concentric circle model out of out of rulemaking out of conformity issues whereas what i look at as the as the biblical way to create that model is through the eucharist through celebrating the the eucharist weekly with with people who where there's a leveraged need for us to be at peace with each other and at peace with god and it's not about it's not nearly as much about conformity that we're all doing the same thing but it's about the relationships at the center of all those circles. Well, you and I will just have to respectfully disagree a, a little bit about that. Okay. So we'll just end that part of it. Um, one, it one, of the, one of the interesting things to, to bring into Chester's perspective um, is that he's, he's not necessarily in, in the podcast and in some of these perspectives that he's giving to us today, he's not coming as a theologian. Uh -huh. uh, he's coming as a brother who's lived through this, right? right. And right. so he's he's telling us this is this is what happened. This right. is my interpretation from literally living through this. That's right. Um, you can be a third of his age and then saying, "I don't agree with this interpretation. I don't agree that that happened." But he's coming at it not as a, a, a theological construct, but as a fact of history. Yeah, I think well, that I'm has to be appreciated. If I was double my age, I would have more to say. But Robert Friedman said that my people, the old Mennonites, had already lost Galassenheit by 1930. And Galassenheit is tied into this whole picture in deep ways that I don't know if we have time to go into here. But uh, I would say that for me, Galassenheit is the replacement for what Matthew was talking about the Eucharist. Uh, so I don't think we need to go there tonight, but uh, I would like to answer Matthew's statement about the outsiders coming in. So David and Dean were people who are perfect illustrations of this. And David did something for our church one day that has, has stuck with me, and I'd like to present it to you. Uh, we as Anabaptists have been around for 500 years. We fail, and we don't make things as clear and we fall into ditches and not even know we've gotten there. And so David pointed out one of these ditches to us. He gave us a, a chart. At the top of the chart, he said, when it comes to obedience issues, you have things that are really clearly spelled out like divorce and remarriage. Principle, application. Then he says, a similar situation is like non-resistance. Principle, 
no warfare is almost implied, but it's not a very much of a jump to uh, make that conclusion. And then he draws a dotted line and he says, below this are all kinds of applications, but they're not quite on the same level. For example, the historic church had standards. And David said, you folks are only living today. You have only survived because of standards of some kind. And so one of the standards historically that was been in place is segregated seating or acapella singing. Okay, so, you know, Anabaptist people still have some of that. Then he says another standard that you have is down a little further from that is like no television, which is a recent application. Television has not been around all that long. But it's, it's, you can say putting no evil thing before my eyes can easily be applied to television. And then he says you have ethnic standards such as the straight cut suit. But he said that's at the bottom, that's a cultural thing. He says your problem is when you put all those standards in one pile and, make, and call them equal. And I received that. We have. And it's because of our own historical lacks that we've even tried to do that. And that confuses a lot of people from the outside. And they throw out the baby with the bathwater because they see the basic dishonesty that's involved with that. And so I appreciate David pointing that out to us and I received that. Is, is that, is that an, here's my question that I've asked about, about these issues, because, you know, any, anybody who's doing church planting work and I'm a church planter, anybody who's doing church planting work has to deal with where, where are the lines of the church? So it's, it's relevant to everyone who's involved in, in building the kingdom of God. But when I, what I, what I ask myself is if we look at Anabaptism as a, as a case study, is the conclusion that those things have to be weighted the way they are, uh, is that a function of that institution? What I mean by that is that how would you preserve something like the plain coat if it wasn't weighted as like a test of membership? Like that's if very, you had, yeah, that's a very ahead. good question. Um, there has to be some kind of practical application in obedience. It so happens that our forefathers decided on the plain suit. It didn't usually, for 400 years, it was not in our story. It's only in the last 100 years. And I understand and respect why they put it in there. But that's just one illustration. But I don't care what the issue is, we've, we've got to have a way to apply it. And so if there would be no such thing as a plain suit, this thing of loyalty and identity to Christ has to be expressed in some way. Now, for Anabaptists, we have said, if you want to be a part of this local body and we have this standard, we would expect you to ab uh, abide by this. You don't have to. You don't have to be part of our church. You can go to some other church. But if you're here, this is the culture we have, and we would hope that you could identify with it. Now, the same thing can be true with any kind of practical obedience issue there is. It's just that this is the way we have chosen to do it. If there's other expressions that are expressions of obedience and application to uh, biblical truth, fine. But it, it, it makes a practical difficulty to work among people who have all kinds of differences in application. So there, we've, we've uh, tried to have some kind of like-mindedness by similarity in applications.
Well, that's that that's exactly my point. That's what I'm talking about. That that if if you make those kinds of definitions. So uh, what I what I often talk to you about with my with my Mennonite friends is, and I've I have a lot of Mennonite friends, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, what I often say is like, let's imagine, let's do a thought experiment. And I, I come from Eugene, Oregon, where all the hippies grew up from Berkeley and went up to Eugene, Oregon. And so let's imagine I'm walking down through Eugene, Oregon, and I find some street evangelist and. I'm like, wow, this is really neat. This guy's preaching the kingdom of God. He's talking about non-resistance. He's talking about no divorce or marriage. This is phenomenal. I'm going to go meet these people. And so I go out to their meeting and I show up at their meeting and they all have purple makeup on their face. And I say, well, that's really weird. And I sit through this meeting and I say, we get to the end and the preaching's great. And there's a lot of neat people there and the families are beautiful. And I'm like, okay, guys. So it's great. I love this stuff. But what's with the purple faces? And they're like, well, it's just what we do. And I'm like, well, but, but, but what, why? And they're like, well, it's just submission to the brotherhood. And I say, well, okay, I get that, but there's no reason for it. And, and I don't, I can't imagine a way to make that make sense to me. So what, what am I supposed to do? Do I have to put purple on my face to be able to be a part of here? And they say, Hey, you don't have to be here go somewhere else. There's lots of places. We're not saying you're not a Christian if you don't put purple makeup on your face. We're just saying you can't be here if you don't do that. And what I think is that that kind of attitude actually divides the church and it makes it so that people can't come into the church like they like Jesus intended. And when we put those low bar things like David mentioned, and we, and we make them necessary, then that actually creates a wall that people not just not just don't but won't come into the church because of them yeah david brousseau is very concerned about the same thing and that's why he's talking about those kinds of things i don't think a plain suit and purple faces are quite equal no no they're not they're they're certainly not but it helps illustrate that it's something that's just made up culturally yes and and david uh it help has helped us understand that we may not overdo this kind of thing he says it makes it hard for people to step in and we, right. we recognize that and so there is a limit to that kind of thing and we need each other's help on that kind of thing so mm -hmm. we don't make it extra difficult right so yeah. I'm not sure how to phrase this question, but I think it connects to Matthew's question because uh, the Anabaptist story is my story. Um, you know, my family goes back to the 1700s in this country and, and uh, as Anabaptists, and I'm not sure how long before that, but I am meeting right now. I'm trying to plant a church with, with uh, other people who are not Anabaptists. You know, that's not a story that's meaningful to them other than as one more example of people in the past who have done, um, you know, who've done valiantly in seeking the kingdom of God. And, and so um, if we're building a cross-cultural church is, is um, what, what, what is the relevance then of the Anabaptist story and of, you know, what does it mean to be faithful to that story in a context where it's not everybody's story? Um, and, 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 and how, how do I, yeah, why, 
I guess my question is, would you say that, that when you're talking about reconnecting with our story um, and you're like, like on the, on the uh, AP episode, you know, a week or so ago, that you're, that, that that's, that's a very bounded, you were making a lot of statements that are bounded within the Anabaptist story. This is not to be interpreted outside that story. Other people have another story. That's right. That's right. Okay. And I think that's probably what threw some of us off is because it, if you're not within that story, it almost, or if you relate constantly to people who are not, and that's like my main fellowship right now, it feels like, it feels like you're saying that's the story. And, and I think I understand you. That's not what you were no, saying. No. Um, so, so yes, that's, that's clear to me. There might People be like Dean and David probably can answer some of the stuff we're talking about better than I can, because yeah. they don't come from that kind of a context and right. they have some personal experience in how this works. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So yeah, <laughs> you know, my whole story, my whole story has been, I've always been in radical renewal groups. Always am, always was, still am. Uh, I was with David Brousseau for 10 years, with the Charity Churches for 15, with the Charity Eyes Tutterites for, for six, and now with Followers of the Way. And so I've always been on the edge of renewal groups that have been you know, working within the, the, the fringes of the Santa Baptist world. You know, however, you know, as a historian and as a um, as a person who's gone through this journey, I own the Anabaptist story in, in, a, in a very deep way. And and for several reasons, I for me, it, it is it's not a denomination. And I say right. this frequently. That's it, right. uh, that is right. The Anabaptist, the Anabaptism is a hermeneutic. It's that's not right. a uh, that's right. Not a denomination. You don't hear people going around saying, are you in the the Anabaptists? I mean, it's it's it, and it was it was John Howard Yoder who who said it's not a century. It's a it's a hermeneutic, and I've I flipped it to for the other. But there's a concept there that's very important for radical new churches to understand, and this is a, a really important point. Uh, and I've seen this needed at with Dave Brousseau, with Charity, with the Hutterites, and now. Um, that there's there's something that's that's part of being a part of something that's bigger than your visionary attempts. Um, let me let me show you something um, here. Let me see if I can do this. I, I have I have a uh, oh can I I don't know if you're gonna be able to pull this off, Titus. Can you let me share a screen? Yeah, no, you have to give him permission. To. Just pull up the participants, Titus, and you can give him screen right. share. Hang on. Uh, click on more on Dean's name and you can drop a drop down menu. I, I, so I, I have a hermeneutic. I'll let Titus try to get this. A hermeneutic that I use um, in interpreting uh, issues and doing church things and, and theology. And I call it the apostolic quadrilateral. Um, and I developed this. It's kind of like how I face a theological issue or something like that. And I'll show it to you if Titus can. Did you get it? You should be able to now in, in the bottom of your screen, a little green right, Awesome. Awesome. Okay, here it is. All right, so here's my apostolic quadrilateral. I, I use the this acronym of SCAR, thinking of myself as the doubting Thomas looking onto Jesus's scar. And so here, here's what it is. Scripture, number one, um, I, I don't go beyond the word of God. I, I very much appreciate early Christianity. I very much appreciate history 
but there's nothing outside of the word of God that can be required of us or is needed for salvation. It is it. Um, the next thing is Christocentric. The C is Christocentric. Uh, and I, I, um, I, tr I interpret the whole Bible. I interpret all of history, um, all movements, all history through a, a, a Christ-centered concept. So I read the Old Testament that way, and I read the New Testament back that way. I read Paul into Christ. I read everything looking into Christ. The third thing is antiquity. And so if, there's, if it's like not at all in the early church, it makes me a little nervous. If it's not something that has an ancient origin, I just, you know, this is not as quite as high as a part of my hermeneutic as the beginning two, but the other two are still something that I'm going to like be really nervous if I'm totally trying to think of something that's never been thought of again. And the fourth one is I got from John Wesley and his Methodist, um, he called Methodist quadrilateral. He has something, something quadrilateral. Uh, and it was real. And this is something I think you need to hear. Um, in, my, in my journey from, from all the, the radical uh, coffee table discussions that I've been a part of, um, it's, there's, there's been so many coffee table revivals, so many things that have um, been ideas, but they don't really exist. And it took me a long time to realize that I have the weakness of a visionary and that I need stable people around me. And it, and it took me a long time to realize that. But the, one of the biggest weaknesses that visionaries have, and I think counts for everyone in this room, um, is that we have, the, we have the ability and we have the problem of being able to live in something that doesn't exist yet. Um, we're living in that vision and it doesn't exist. And so I, that can, that's good. We, the church needs visionaries. I, I'm a visionary. I, I, that's, I do it. Did we lose Dean? Or am I just not hearing? Uh, yeah, he, I lost I him he too. Froze up. Right when he was getting into the good stuff. Yeah, right. Well, maybe he'll um, be back. If you have his number, maybe you could text him, Matthew. That type of a thing. Oh, there he is. Back. Hey, Dean, we lost you that last that last 15 seconds. Uh, okay, sorry. Let me try to make sure some other. Um, I love that that people are experimenting with different things. I love that Anthony's you know trying this thing and a little more liturgical. I love being in renewal groups. Um, I love this. I love. I, I enjoy the passion of the charity churches. I love the. Um, the You've been locked out. They they got me fixed now. <laughs> Um, is it working now? Yeah, yeah, we're good. Okay. Okay. But at the end of the day, man, there should be like a lot of humility That's right. that we don't exist. And, and when you realize that, but it doesn't mean you should stop trying. It doesn't mean you don't stand on biblical principles and say, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to try this because I'm solid on this. But man, until we exist... Yeah. Until the very thing that we're designing in our head even has an existence in reality, there should just be a whole big giant bucket of humility in that. Absolutely. So in that vein, I look at the, the larger Anabaptist people and I say, I'm in. I have a big circle. I call it the Anabaptist Kingdom Christians. 
and I'm in that bigger circle, a tighter circle of that. I'm in followers the way in, in Boston. And I enjoy that. And I like what we're doing. I like that. But it's in humility of realizing that there's a larger body that I'm going to listen to. I'm going to be very careful. Um, and, and that kind of just brings in how, how we, we do this. I want to be a part of something new. I want us all to take our convictions and go it. But I think we have a lot to learn um, in a very, and we have even a lot to submit to in these brothers that walk in these same kingdom principles that we do. Um, Thank you, Dean. That is well said. You, you spoke in my heart. So my journey over these nearly 30 years of being in radical Christianity, I loved it. And so many times my wife and I have sat in bed and said, couldn't we have just joined a really nice, boring Mennonite church back 25 years ago and it'd have been a lot better off, you know, and that's not the course God put us on. It's not the course we're in now. Um, but nevertheless, man, I, I just, yeah. So the, 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 uh, the quadrilateral needs to end with reality somehow. And John Wesley brought this out in his concept uh, that he gave to the church. That's why I'm so rooted in history. I, I, I understand that ideas are ideas, but they're not quite equal to what has actually happened in the past. The great cloud of witnesses is not just Hebrews 11. There's 2000 years of cloud of witnesses and I'm not gonna right. be arrogant enough to try to reinvent the wheel in my generation. Mm -hmm. I, I, I obviously, <clears throat> follow a different path than dean in those things this is one of the classic deans want to deans dean is to me what chester is is to dean uh dean and i go back probably 20 years um he was he was a part of the he was a he was a bishop at the church that was one of my first bishops in oregon when i look at your assessment and what I would say is that that quadrilateral is what has kept me from being in Anabaptist community. So it may be, if that's Anabaptist hermeneutic, it's my Anabaptist hermeneutic that's kept me out of Anabaptist churches. Mm -hmm. So when I look at, so when I have, when Eric and I are converted and we start following, we don't know anybody else that's ever worn a head covering and we start doing that because it's in the scriptures. And then we find it's Christocentric and then we find it's antiquity and we read veiling of the virgins. And then I show up at the Mennonite church and they're like, no, 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 that veil's not going to work. You got to put on a cap or you can't have communion here. It's my quadrilateral that says, well, I'm going to follow these things, not that thing, because that's not my thing. And so I don't know. I think that those things, at least as I, as I've traveled in the Anabaptist communities, and I think you know, when I look at the revivalism movements that 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 we were a part of, what's interesting to me is that the charity movements, for example, when I look back and assess, they did very good at giving living faith to people who were in old order churches who didn't really connect to God. But they didn't really they didn't really work as a lasting home for people like Dean or I for the question askers. And I, I don't, please, I don't know. Please forgive us, Matthew. Please forgive us. I, I do, brother. I do. And, and I will say this, some of my very dearest brothers, some of the men that I respect in the kingdom of God more than anybody else that I've ever encountered are in Anabaptist churches. So it's not that I don't 
that I don't see the real living faith of brothers and sisters within those communities, but the same hermeneutic that, that brought me into the kingdom of God also kept me aloof from some of those institutional settings. I'm sorry. I apologize. Well, well I, uh, so, so my question over the years has been, is that an institutional framework? Is it a modern phenomenon? Of it's a those modern phenomenon. It's not an institutional framework. It's it's the fundamentalism that you're after. That's right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, so well, I'll so, help you kill it then. Yeah. <laughs> hey. So so uh, the, I have to, to to piggyback on what Matthew said. Um my story is maybe even a little weirder than that, but I got stuck at that very same level of the reality. You know, what does this look like fleshed out? And one of the things that I, you know, when I got down to point three, which I heard about my whole life, I was around Anabaptist people who were very, you know, in general were visionaries and who were, who were serious about trying to recover those points that, that, that uh, I think Dean, you went down through just now. On point four, after a generation, you know, being an adult for 20 years or whatever and watching and, and, and participating um, kind of within, within the Anabaptist circles, um, they're my people, I love them. I had no interest in, in separating myself or losing respectability among those people. I wanna be part of something that's real but on point four, I kept watching people try and try and try to restart the engine that produces, that, that causes the church to reproduce. And among people who are not already culturally a part of it. And, and I, at some point I had to say, something's wrong farther back the line you know, there, there's something that's that, there's something that's that's damaged. There's something that's poisoning the system. I had to let go of the need for respectability in order to go the whole way into the real. If if you know what I'm saying, I had I I, I came to the point where, in order to live out Christ with people who weren't part of my story, um, in in, in a meaningful way, I didn't know how to I didn't know how to hang on to the framework that I was handed as or I, framework is the wrong word because we just separated that from fundamentalism. It seemed to me like I couldn't find a place where that wasn't killing the reproductive aspect of the church. And, and so I just started trying to live out what I thought the Anabaptists really believed that Anabaptist, you know, that, that four points, um, the way they had been handed to me and and uh, that led to me being, you know, not looking much like the people I'm, I'm, I mean, in, in the way that I'm living out the church, the, the churches that I grew up with. And yet I feel like the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus as the center and the obedience to him in a, in, in a committed community, I see it taking shape around me now with people that could not have done this with me. Um, before and I have no idea whether this like I'm very humble about it as a as being simply an experiment for me um, you know many of the early Anabaptist churches didn't survive either um, and I don't know if if what we're doing now will survive but I like like you said I had to try and 
and that's and that's where I got stuck. Like I was, how many generations am I going to wait for this fundamentalism to be purged out? When do you say I'm going to do what Matthew did? Only I'm inside it, and I have to step to the side a little bit. Um, yeah, I, just, I think that that it's excellent point, and I and I think you would have an army, uh, an ocean of, of or a whatever, a, a crowd of people cheering you on in the Anabaptists mm. to do that very thing. Yeah. Um, the, the, the difference is, you know, the, the Isaac Newton uh, analogy where, you know, the, 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 the Apple guy, the gravity guy that's supposed to, you know, discover gravity. Uh, when they were giving him a bunch of praise and saying, you know, how'd you come up with all this gravity stuff? I mean, this is awesome. I mean, how did you do this? And and as he was going through all this, he had a very profound statement. And he says, you know, if I see further, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Right. Yes. That's the attitude. And so yes. I, I will say that it, it would appear to me as an outsider, this is a weak spot for dank <laughs> Christian meme uh, podcast. There's, there's uh, no, the entire Anabaptist world wants you to go forward and to see further and to do more but you don't have to step on them on the way to get there yeah. there's a there's a respectful and way and in, and in, and when you exist when the church that you imagine with all of its ministry and mission and concept actually exist then that will be a time to reflect upon well wow, so here's what we're doing now in our on our generation um, who was the guy, uh, Anabaptist Identity Conference, the Brethren guys? Y'all mentioned it in one of the things. He talks about starting it in every generation. Uh, Frank Reed? Yeah, Frank Reed. Yeah, yeah. Frank Reed's beautiful analogy of, you know, of, of taking this, this concept in every generation. Mm -hmm. I think you've got a crowd of witnesses cheering you on yeah. from the, the, the most plain of, of the Anabaptist churches. Yeah. But there there's just needs to be, in my humble opinion, a, a better sense of of uh, humility that these people are, are 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 do want to cheer you on. Anthony, uh, your scenery has simply been different from mine. I've had people models in my past that uh, I just admire for their genuine Christianity, and I'm sorry that maybe you didn't have all that. Well, that's another thing. Um, that's another thing, real quick, and that's probably my experience. Um, I came into the Anabaptist world. I see Chester Weaver. Who has, in my opinion, about a perfect family? Oh, I, see <laughs> I see, and I'm I'm standing at a homeschool convention. Must be in 1991, and I'm standing there looking at him. And I probably just had Stephen. I don't know if Stephen was born yet or something. And I'm hearing him talk to to the seeker that came up to him, and he said, "Do you want a godly family? Well, you know you can. It's just a choice you make." And I never forget him saying that to that to that young family. And I was just standing there as a young dad. And, and as I've seen it, you know, I, I've seen, you know, I work with Christian aid ministry over in Greece, and I'm literally seeing hundreds of Muslims to come to Christ. I see people like uh, Leroy Lapp from a painfully conservative church, and some of you planting three churches in Iraq, baptizing 30 Muslim converts last year. I, I look at the pilgrim Mennonites in Bangladesh, you know, baptizing hundreds. I think Costa Rica, Guatemala, Honduras. And I, and I embrace those and I'm like, wow, these people are really living a kingdom life. Now, I've always been on the outside. I've always wanted to, you know, been, and I, so I'm, I'm embracing that radical 
um, new expression for this generation, but, but I still, and I, I, I pause when these men talk. I listen yeah. to them and I submit to the, that when they have some big concerns for me. Mm-hmm. And I really think that that maybe do a healthy thing to, to try to see some of those um, really incredible expressions of the faith that are, ha- I have friends in Kenya, um, over in Kenya right now, we, we, we chat with them frequently with Christian Aid Ministry there in Kenya hundreds of these people coming to Christ um, into second generations and things. And I'm like, this is really awesome. So I I agree with Chester. I think there's been a little bit, maybe you've had some brokenness and some painful scenarios that you've been a part of. I don't blame you. That's Uh, part of the cost. I mean, I needed to speak and I've got criticized for it, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, At least I'm not, I feel like I can do more by speaking into it than by just by leaving it. So, so I, I want to just clarify with what I said that, I mean, I, I have the same experience. There's lots of people I admire and respect. Um, I mean, you know, more than anywhere else, probably within, within Anabaptist circles, this is, the, these are the people I know. And, and I think there's a high percentage of people who really, who really care about Jesus and who have a living faith and, and are li- walking it out. Um, it's probably too big, too big for the a subject for tonight. But but my concern is on the institutional level. What I see is that you can arrive in, as an institution, as a culture, at a place where the individual intentions and and work of of in of many individuals c- can be canceled by something that's 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 got a bigger existence than those individuals well and institutions. i have i haven't known how to i haven't known how to shrug that off yeah. um, from within yeah. institutions hey are not an anabaptist invention they bought that in they <laughs> bought into that idea from the protestants i see you dean it's my wife's birthday we had salmon tacos and now they, i told them i'm not going to go past nine can we do a to be continued Right. Yeah. 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 We're we're at the late end for our for our audience. Anyhow, Uh, I I do want to say before you brothers leave how much I very much appreciate both of you coming on and talking with us about these things. Mm -hmm. I think these are these are these are the issue du jour. Like this is what we need to be talking about as as the kingdom of God. They're the most important matters Mm -hmm. of church planting and building today is how to resolve these exact issues. So uh, I appreciate all of your time and 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 your faith and your walk with god your your insights so thank you for being with us both yep. chester and dean yep. thank Bless you you guys thank, thank you, you. <laughs> hey, Ch- hey chester i don't know if you can stay on five more minutes i had one last question thanks dean <laughs> okay. for coming on all right all right thanks guys <laughs> good night dean um so you you talked a lot about your story and and i'm 26 years old so my story is is pretty insignificant but i i did want to just share what my experience has been and, and just ask you honestly, like, what do you think about this? <laughs> um, not as a trick question or a debate question, just saying, Hey, I, I'm just, I, I, I want to be really raw and just say, what do you think? Do you think I did something wrong in this situation? So I, I grew up in a faith mission fellowship, uh, the beachy church there. I, I think you're in the beachy church as well. Is that correct? No, I'm not. I was okay. for years, but I'm not now. Okay, so I, I first got interested in, in street evangelism through uh, Jay Stolzfus, who started Soldiers of the Cross. Um, he was staff at Faith Mission Home, okay. and he was just getting excited about street evangelism. 
at that time. And so I was one of the few people who would um, go out with him when he was first catching a vision for that in Charlottesville on the streets. And as I, as I continued to do that street evangelism and, and met people who I wanted to invite to church, um, I, I, I found it very difficult to feel comfortable bringing them into faith mission. And um, part of that Why? was tied, well, part of it was tied with, with my understanding of baptism. So I, I understand baptism to be part of the salvation experience. And so to explain to someone that until, until they sign off to never listening to any music with musical instruments again, um, to buttoning their top button when they, whenever they come into a worship service, and a host of other things that I, I couldn't point to scripture, that I would not baptize them or that my church would not baptize them. That was, that was one, a big hurdle for me, because to me, like, to me, the, the cost of following Jesus is already very high. You know, you have to, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross. Yeah, there, there's so much in the Sermon on the Mount and the apostolic teaching that is a very, very hard cost to call people off the streets of Charlottesville into the kingdom. And so when I, when I, when, when that stack is already very high, when I add to that before, before baptism, that was one of the primary reasons why I left the beachy church. And so, um, I guess my question would be, did I make a poor choice in leaving the beachy church? That wasn't the only factor, but that was a, one of the primary factors. Well, I'm not God. And my observation would be that uh, you probably reacted a bit because not all churches operate that way. You've been in, I don't know where you are now. Are you a followers of the way or what are no, you? I'm in with another non-denominational church with a lot of Mennonite influence here in, in Charlottesville called Koinonia. Okay. Well, I don't know much about that. But uh, I'm sorry that you uh, bumped into those kinds of things, but make sure that whenever you're responding to something, you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. My question to you would be, in this coin in here where you are right now, do you find a, a safe haven for a family, your wife and your children? Could you raise them in an environment and bless them in working uh, your practical Christianity and obedience out in that context? So I, I <laughs> that's a that's a whole question that I've been talking to, to Matthew a lot about. <laughs> I would say that um, it, it, at the moment it seems so more so than than faith mission, and I would say even at this point I'll be more comfortable raising my family where at, at Koinonia than at faith mission. However, I'm not totally satisfied with everything there for sure. Well, the long and short of it is you're going to have to submit to something. Nobody lives in a perfect place. And so you have to decide what are the issues that you can live with and you can't live with. And I don't think mm -hmm. that Anabaptist churches have always done a very good, ish, a good job at understanding that point. And uh, like we said before, it's all one package. You either take it all or you throw it out. And I, I'm, I'm sorry about that. That is not an Anabaptist way of dealing with it. Sure. So uh, I, I think that Chester, I'm I'm known as someone who's who's fairly oppositional to the Anabaptist institutional settings, although I have very good friends within Anabaptist churches. Uh, as someone from from the outside, but with a lot of contact and exposure, what are the what are some practical steps to rooting out fundamentalism within the Anabaptist communities that? How, how can we help you in that labor? I mean, I don't know that I can, but how can the people listening tonight, what does it mean to challenge those mentalities? Hey, that's a very good question, Matthew. <clears throat> My simple answer is 
read Anabaptist history. <laughs> Our people, unfortunately, do not know their story. And mm -hmm. they've bought into a concept of Anabaptism that it looks like, acts like, and believes like the present church in 2020. It's just simply not true. That's what gave me a stability and an anchor for years already. I read the story. I know the Ru Dutch Russian story. I know the uh, uh, Hutterite story. I know the Swiss Brethren story. And that has given me an anchor to sort through all these things that get thrown at me. I get criticized for, misunderstood for. All I can say is I'm not that far off. I know the story. <laughs> I'm anchored in the story. Go read it. Right. That's good. Good advice. We, stories a very powerful thing. And, and there's a reason that every nation on the earth teaches history to their children, that people need to know their story and where they came exactly. from. Exactly. Well, thank you again for your time, Chester. Does anybody else have anything they want to wrap up? Or Chester, do you want to have any I, final? I had a couple things. If I could, um, I don't know, ask or um, address or whatever. Um, I completely, um, well, my, my story, I go down it right a while. I've spent time with, um, with a lot of different flavors of, uh, of church backgrounds, both Anabaptist and otherwise. And I remember when I discovered um, the, 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 the influence of fundamentalism and how, how much that has shaped Anabaptism to the point where it feels to me like much of what passes as conservative Anabaptism today was created whole cloth less than 100 years ago. You're so very right. And, um, and, and, and I remember just the feeling that I've been lied to my whole life. I'm because sorry. This David. is not Anabaptism. That's this right. is like what, what you're saying. This is not what it's supposed to be. Exactly. Um, and so because of that, I have a hard time. Um, I have a hard time separating between Anabaptism as it ought to be and Anabaptism as the fundamentalist hijacking of it actually is. Well, the answer to that question is be the change you wish to see. You start with yourself. Yeah. Um, and that, and, and that's what I've tried to do. And, and I'm with you as far as, um, as far as like, I have respect and I know there's a lot of people in a lot of different cultures and stuff. And this is leading into my second issue or question then um, that I kind of feel is a little bit of elephant in the room. You know, you said, you know, the, uh, I know it was said earlier, you know, some humility and stuff and, and, and respect for these uh, organization, institution, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the conservative Anabaptist umbrella. But in the last, especially in the last couple years, there's been this, this ripping off this cover of rampant abuse emotional spiritual and lately though the thing that's really been the big deal is the sexual abuse that has been covered over by churches hidden um and how do you how do you reconcile the the fact that conservative anabaptist churches across the country are shot through with this kind of thing it's because of fundamentalist influence that is not the Anabaptist story. I'm sorry. It's, it's just so sad. And it's high time that we tell people to get the facts, get the story. What we are today is not what, what we were at one time. 
and just tell the story. I mean, they're not going to read it. Unfortunately, people don't read books anymore. You've got to tell. That's one of the reasons I, I'm a teacher, because I get a chance to tell that story. Mm -hmm. so well, you DKCM and Chester Weaver, compatriots in arms against fundamentalism. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. if you're if you're staying against fundamentalism, you know, um, I'm I'm in line right behind you. <laughs> yeah, well, there are things in fundamentalism such as the resurrection of Christ, the virgin birth, and those kinds of things. If you talk about fundamentalism, it's a very easily misunderstood thing, and mm -hmm. so you can be criticized for throwing things out that you don't think that that are that are not really true. So mm -hmm. it's a it's a dangerous place to be. It's a knife edge to walk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, fu fundamentalism, I realize that that historically fundamentalism meant belief in those fundamentals. But unfortunately, that lasted uh, for about a week and a half. And then fundamentalism morphed into yes. the monster that we see now. And obviously, um, <clears throat> I view what fundamentalism was supposed to be as simply being a serious Christian, like just taking taking yes. your faith seriously. Yes. But fundamentalism is about, to me, the core, you talked about the core of Anabaptism. The core of, of fundamentalism feels to me like salvation comes through getting it right. Exactly. And if we exactly. can make people get it right by force, then yeah. we'll all be better off. Exactly. That, that is well said. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's been, that's been my experience across a, a variety of churches is that that's, that that's the way to salvation is getting is is getting it all figured out and making yeah. people do it. David, let me comment on this one. I have a little overhead here. Uh, this is titled legalism, but if it if it fits with fundamentalism. But if you emphasize law, flesh, prohibition, policy, rules, immaturity, stagnation, controlling, and fear, eventually people feel safe and feel secure, and that's the why it's the easy way to move forward mm -hmm. the real thing yeah uh, liberty makes people feel safe and actually makes people safe and secure you don't have to feel it you are that and that's mm -hmm. what anabaptism really is again it's a hermeneutic Titus, if you're talking, you're muted. Oh, yeah, my phone was ringing. That's why I did that. Okay. Well, thanks a lot again, Chester, for coming on. I, I feel like we were able to to clarify a lot, and I'm glad we could have this conversation rather than um, just talking about the episode behind your back. And I feel like uh, a lot of what what you were sharing on that podcast is, has become a lot more clear. So appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. somehow, I wish if you misunderstood a lot of other people misunderstood and i don't know what we can do about that but share this episode right Re reagan and jaren you can put this on the ap feed <laughs> i'll let that um, you. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I really appreciate it too chester um i feel like it's been a fruitful conversation and and, and i suspected i suspected we had a lot more in common than it felt like at the end of that episode so this this has confirmed that so. yeah thank you all right everyone um make sure to uh, also check out matthew's other podcast talking the chasm you're still doing that right 
Yeah, I have. We've been on a hiatus a little bit. We, we, Felix and I have so much energy with each other. It's really hard to do that, that venue on, on this format. So uh, we haven't resolved that yet, but hopefully we'll come out of the, come out of the, our houses and be able to do it in person again soon. Nice. Yeah. yeah and, and my other show is called that Jesus podcast. You can check it out wherever podcasts are found. Um, Blanky Dave, are you still doing your live streams? Um, I'm on a hiatus too. So, but it's not because <laughs> of COVID-19. It's just because I'm on a hiatus. Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, like we said, if, if you found this episode helpful, make sure to share it. We'll have it up on YouTube and all the podcast catchers, um, hopefully tonight or tomorrow. Um, yeah. Thanks guys uh, for hey. having a conversation. Talk to y'all later. Yeah. Thank Good you. night. Bye. Peace to y'all.